So I was thinking, do do I need to give the listeners an apology? Yes. For what? Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and that is Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. 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 I'm Julia Child. I was thinking from Seinfeld, when when they do Jerry's girlfriend's belly button talking. Hello. (laughs) Anyway, how you doing, Doc? I'm okay. I'm fine. I am... Equally. Free Comic Book Day has come and gone. Yeah, I, I didn't get to do too much for Free Comic Book Day. I was going to go uh, to one of the two local stores here because I like those two stores. And I know my friend Jeff Vaughn was going to be there and I was going to stop and see him. But we ended up having to go to Yonkers for the day. So while we were there, I just sought out a comic book store. Uh, mm. nice, nice guys in the store. But really small, not much of a selection. Uh, you know, fine if you wanted new stuff, but I'm not interested in new stuff. So it wasn't my uh, cup of tea. Uh, my LCS, uh, my LCS had its regular uh, outing. Um, before I was a really good host, I would have had all this information prepped beforehand. But uh, I'm trying to see if I could pull up the guest list. Oh wait, there's a sale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. I already took, I already took, took advantage of that sale. <laughs> yeah, they had a sale. Uh, wall books that are normally cover price. Um, they were anything four ninety nine below was a dollar. So I actually picked up a couple event books for Heroes in Crisis. And um, I got a nice um, George Perez Thor variant of War of the Realms number one for a dollar, uh, which... I will always buy a comic book for a dollar. That's that to me. That is my price point. I would love to be by like Professor Allen and have a price point of twenty five cents, but those stores around here offer them for twenty five cents. So, what you gonna do? And I have a, I have a question. That just, yeah. Why would a store have wall books for four ninety nine or less? Why would you? Well, put, why would well, you put books at that price range on the wall? Well, no, 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 I don't, when I, when I say wall books, I don't mean hanging up like wall, though, that type of wall book. This is recent releases. The way they do their stuff, they have new release on racks on the wall. Then they move things over to another wall section for like Marvel, DC, Indie. And then usually you have about six to eight months worth of books there. And then they slowly make their way to the back issue bins. That's kind of the rotation of books. Okay. So usually the you when I say the the recently arrived wall books are usually not on sale either or part of a back issue sale, but this time if they were on the wall, they were a dollar. If they were four ninety nine and below, so I got you now. Yeah, so that's that's why I picked up a couple issues of uh, uh, like I said, I got War of the Realms one and two for a buck a piece. Uh, one was the the George Paris Thor variant, which is uh, like a white background, but a very it was from a commission he did of Thor uh, a few years ago. Um, 
and then there was uh, a couple of Heroes of Crisis. I picked up a ton of the Star Wars Marvel books. Eh, you know, it's a dollar. I'll go for that. I'm trying to find a guest list. They had, they had uh, Greg Land was there, uh-huh. and he usually is, because um, he lives locally around here. Uh, he was there. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. I never checked my uh, the raffle tickets. I'll have to see. Oh, anyway, trying to find a guest list for this year, and that I cannot find. Uh, I believe Chuck Dixon was there. She seems to be there a lot, too. She? He, he. He, he. Oh, I thought you said she. No. Didn't didn't he work on Bugs Bunny cartoons? No, that was... Uh... Chuck Jones. No, thanks. I knew I was like, I cannot remember. Anyway, they had a ton of guests, but it doesn't matter now because it's over, so I guess there's no point in me trying to find what the guest list was. Uh, I did find another good store over in Tampa called <laughs> Urban Legend Comics. They're mm-hmm. only open on Thursdays and Sundays. That's the one I texted you and Scott. They have a lot. They don't really have anything recent. It's pretty much like pretty much what we cover. And that's the kind of store I'd be interested in. Yeah, it's it's um uh I that's where I picked up a couple like the first uh, like. Two to nine, or two issues, two through eight for Infinity Inc. I didn't pick up one because it was five bucks, and I know where I can get it for two <laughs> at another store. Um, but he has a deal if you do like five, um, what is it, six five dollar books, you can buy them for twenty bucks. So you're saving ten dollars. That's, so that's pretty nice good. Book. Yeah. And then uh, most of everything else is pretty much a dollar in in the store. And he's got all kinds of books that I need, but I did it was just like I only had a half hour break, so I was just like, uh, 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 uh. so I wanted to go back and get Infinity Inc. So I picked up, I picked up a couple in the beginning, and I started at the instead of starting at the front since they're all a dollar, I went and got uh, I picked up the two annuals, one of which was five bucks. Uh, I guess it's an early Todd McFarlane. So I picked up that. Um, and like issue like 53 to 50. So I need from 9 to 49 and 1. So that's what I'm going to be working on. And I think I'm going to go back also and start going back and getting all of the Omega Men too. Because I remember really liking that when I was younger. I do remember I liked the first few issues of it. And then I stopped for whatever reason. And that was that. And I also want to get Batman and the Outsiders and the Outsiders, because I remember a lot like that. I don't know why I got rid of them a long time ago. So, um, I'm I'm getting on a big DC. I'm, like, kind of m- looking for DC back issues. Nothing wrong uh, with that. It's, it's, it's just like kind of weird. Like, I don't know. Kinda, I mean, I've, I don't, I've, DC has never been the focus of my collecting. It's mm-hmm. always been more or less just, you know... My, my DC books have more have generally been more for reading than collecting the marvel ones are were more my collection like in in my uh on my shelves i think i have i don't know like 50 boxes right now and of those 50 boxes like 35 to 40 of them are marvel mm. yeah so dc makes a much smaller part of my collection but it's not that they're not good it's just 
you know, it's it's the time you grow up and what you're into then, really, that I think influences you. Yep. So uh, I got a little story. I was uh, I met I, I met up with one of my friends, you know, just by chance, and I was talking to him, and uh, he's at one point his phone started to fall, and he like scampered and he caught it before it hit the ground, and I I said. Uh, Something to the effect of those cat-like reflexes, and he, he he laughed and like he thought to himself, and he says, "You know, it's funny. My father always used that expression." And then and then I realized, like it didn't occur to me until after he said it, the friend that I was talking to is my friend Joe Puzo, who's Mario Puzo's son, <laughs> who wrote Superman the movie. Oh, that is funny. <laughs> and, and that blew my mind because I said it without even thinking about it, and he didn't even realize it when he commented, "Oh, my father always said that." Hmm. And then, like I said to him, I says, "Well, I got it from Superman the movie that your father wrote," and he was like, "Oh, that's you know, like he, like he was he was kind of blown away by that too." Smacking the head, going, "Oh, wow." <laughs> well, I don't think my story is as good as yours. Well, they never are. <laughs> so my daughter had her graduation um and uh from she was graduating from junior college and often on the campus uh there's i guess there's a certain doctor that has donated greatly to um to the college hold on a second honey what's how does he spell his name is it r-a-o so his name is R-A-O. His first name is R-A-O, which is? Rao. Rao, which in Superman would be, that's the, what, like the Isn't that the, the god, god of the sun or something? Yeah, because Superman all, 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 often says great Rao. Yeah. So I was going to chuckle when I see that when I go out to the campus. So I would pick her up a few times, you know, I'd go, ah, oh, great Rao. So he was one of the keynote speakers, whatever, at her graduation. Whew. Let me tell you, <laughs> boy, was he long-winded. <laughs> and at one point, I'm sitting there, and he's, he's going on and on, and I'm trying to stay awake in the chair. And then I just say to myself, like, just under my breath, I'm like, great, row, shut up. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And it was funny because the kid that came on, and, like, I think after him or one of the other, no, it was, uh, what, it was the other the state representative comes on he's like well i'm gonna have a speech not as long as dr rouse thank god yeah thank rao thank rao yes rao be his name it's uh katie's graduation uh sarah's sarah's, sarah's. Yeah, yeah katie's Kate. graduation will be sometime in the in the winter in december um maybe i'll if i go up there maybe i'll see professor allen this time not if he sees you first if he sees me first. Yeah, you gonna go to that made up town? Made up town? Middletown? What? No, there was that dead town that you made up the name of. I did not what? Wapakoneta? That's the one. That's not in the made up town. That's where Neil Armstrong was born. Favorite. That's mm -hmm. Ben's like favorite town. Like he so, loves to say it. So Wapakoneta. Ben, ben likes made up names. It's not made up. I've been there. I've been to the museum. I have pictures. Look at my Facebook page. Wapakoneta, birthplace of Neil Armstrong. Yeah, I've heard of Photoshop. It's not Photoshop. It's not Photoshopped. It, uh, <sighs> yeah, whatever you say. 
enough. Please. So today, Bill and I are here to look at the final issue of the first story arc of Fearscape. So it's uh, is it me or is it unusual to have a five issue story arc instead of six? Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's happened before, but yeah, usually it seems like. Well, doesn't it usually seem to be either four or six? Yeah, that's been my experience with it. But it seems like a lot of things, even some of the newer events, uh, like, well, what? wait a minute, wasn't it Identity Crisis that did nine issues and Civil War did nine issues? Like, there's, it's, I don't know. Five, I guess, isn't out of, completely out of the ordinary. I guess if, you know, if you do a good job of planning out your story and you, you know, you kind of figure out what it's going to take page-wise, page count-wise, you can figure, you know, you can kind of plan it and pace it to fit you know whatever you think the proper number but doesn't is. this issue seem longer than the other issues or is uh, it my imagination i mean i haven't reopened i'm not sure let's why don't we see. see as we go through it and the uh, we'll start off as usual with the cover text which is on the back cover it says in the final issue of fearscape henry henry shows his true colors as he i promised myself i would not interject again but alas i must true colors really I appreciate it is only marketing copy, but must the closing chapter of my opus be marred with such overwrought cliché? At least pretend to care. H.H. And your true colors shining through. Don't be afraid. Let it show. So what do we have here on the cover? Is that Henry Henry kind of morphing into a beast? Well, I mean, we'll see in the book he's morphing into the greatest fear and not an especially detailed cover yeah but some of them some of the stuff in the book is not i don't want to say it's not detailed but it's things are obscured to kind of at least i feel they're obscured to kind of maybe make you picture things with your own imagination yeah that's very possible why don't we go through and see issue number five as has previously been with the other issues written by Ryan O'Sullivan illustrated by Andrea Muti colored by Vladimir Popov and lettering by Andworld Design so we open up to the story we don't really have a splash page we go right into the story with the uh, with the, the narration why are you doing this this is not the way of things we are allies you the dark we the light Two Hebs working in aid of, of the whole. And then uh, during that we see uh, a dark image killing, I guess, the Minotaur and the, uh, the mermaid. The mermaid. And then we see the greatest fear being taken down by something, and it, it's revealed to be the, uh, the purple um, triplets. The trio. The trio. That we've seen before with the... Uh, the, whatchamacallit, the luchador masks. Right, when they were the tigers, yeah. But here they're in their purplish-type watcher garb. As we begin our final chapter together, dear reader, let us cast aside all contemporary... Now... Comeuppance? <laughs> that's comeuppance? No, that's not comeuppance. Con... Concupiscence? Concupiscence? For Kafkin Abstrusti. 
Kafkin, Kafkin, Kafkin is a term Kafka. from Franz Kafka. Yes, yes. So horribly intricate or uh, overly bureaucratic type of obscurity and opt-in. Anyway, we'll just move right along because big words confuse so us. Is, we're going we're gonna to skip that and opt to speak plainly. <laughs> My principal design is to inform, not to amuse thee. I had no intentions of killing an infant, for the, for the muse was no mere baby. She was an immortal being of immeasurable power. So she come be to killed think over of it, and over again. Come to think of it, comparing my minuscule lifespan to hers, wasn't I the infant? Mm. And then uh, Henry is approached by, I forgot what her name is. Uh, Jill. Jill, the, the daughter of the writer. He says, what are you doing? He says, evil baby, and he drops it to the ground. And he's got he's got that knife in his hands. He, it, it, it does look in the picture that she's like she's hitting the ground hard, the baby. On her head or her back. And yeah. Jill says, oh, my gosh, you dropped her. Jill, stop. Listen, this was a test. The triplets tried to trick me into murdering this child, but you stopped me just in time. Don't you see? The triplets are a true enemy. We have to, we need to unite together against them before she says, what's wrong with you? And then he says, you're not listening. Just shut up for a second and let me explain. You never just shut up, do you, any of you? You're always so busy talking and scheming and lying and expecting me to be so goddamn perfect and just let you walk all over me. And she's... Like, did he, I mean, does, it's a little obscured from the art. Did he, like, slam her into the wall? I, something happened. At, at, At first I thought he hit her, but then I was like, no, because he still has that, when she's thrown back, he still has his arm on. So I think you're right. I, yeah. That's what I couldn't fit, figure out. I think he threw her against the wall. Yeah, he, he's like, got her in one panel. He's grabbing her by the bicep of her uh, left arm. And then the next panel, which is a little unclear, I guess he's kind of throwing her back against the wall. Because yeah, because he's panel out of the panel. All you see is his arm and hers. she's got her head thrown back and her face is obscured. So, yeah, I think she was thrown into the wall. Because the next panel, she's laying on the ground, or she's sitting on the ground, holding her head, and we mm-hmm. have the, the little uh, effervescent uh, things above her head, like that she's not, you know, that she, yeah, she's kind of out of it. <laughs> and then uh, Henry's interrupted by somebody saying, Henry, is that you, my boy? Uh, and it's, what's his name, Arthur? Uh, Arthur Proctor? Proctor. Yes. Arthur. He says, uh, how the devil are Arthur? I caught Jill with this letter opener trying to harm the child. He says, you little beast, get away from her. And uh, Arthur and Henry throw down while the baby is laying there crying. And there's and, a struggle, and the, and the letter opener, Chekhov's letter opener, plunges, or knife, plunges into um, Arthur Proctor. Yeah, right into his chest. And then he's laying there with, uh, you know, bloody... Oh, oh. But wait, what about that line? Hmm. Hmm. Which one? That's the last time you put hands on me, you doddering old pervert. Yeah, that was that was what I was about to read. Oh, sorry. This is come, man of letters. Let me open thee with a, and then uh, Jill shoots shoots it. It looks shoots like him. it hits him in the bicep, possibly. Yeah, or? like Nick's shoulder. Yeah, or yeah, like between his. Yeah, like between the shoulder. And 
the bicep kind of maybe high on the shoulder. Yeah, it might be just a flesh wound from the appearances. That's the way it looks. I mean, unless she nicked an artery. But he, he drops the letter opener and then uh, grabs a hold of his arm and runs out of the room. And then we have a close-up of Arthur Proctor's face. Yeah, and in one of his glasses, it was reflected Jill, and the other is the muse, which is kind of, it's very, uh, very strange. Then so we cut from that scene to uh, out in the street. It says, a gun. How did that non-entity procure herself a firearm? We followed her every move with a lexicographer's precision. At no point did she possess such a device. Clearly, she bought it for the sole purpose of murdering me. Yet with Arthur's fatal wounds by my hand, they, they would undoubtedly position me as the one possessing murderous intent. And how could I argue? Who would believe that an adult man in breaking into the home of an aging invalid, a woman and a newborn, was the true victim? That Arthur's death was the result of self-defense. I had been framed. My only recourse now was the fearscape. I had allies who would protect me from Jill's... And then you, you hear the word, oi, faggot, or the words. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the three luchadors. And he says, please, let me pass. I've been shot. And their faces obscure and turn into the three fearscape people. And Henry's surprised by this. You. Yes, us. Come, we haven't much time, and you are gravely wounded, and still have your end of our bargain to uphold. Where are you taking me? You are taking us to the grave of the poets. I've already shown you how to get there, though. Indeed, you have, storyteller. But we are visiting a special grave, one that only you can find. Yours. Dun, 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 dun. Bum, bum, bum. And Henry looks shocked at this information. He's very, like, he's surprised that they're who they, you know, that they were the tigers. Yep. So we cut back to the uh, to the apartment and um, let us retreat a moment. Let us catch our breath before we spiral into inevitable tragedy. Let us revel in the death of an extraneous bit part villain, a would-be mentor to a can't-be protagonist. Poor Jill. Her journey upon the road of trials has been delayed by the belly of the whale now escaping onto her upholstery. Ew. So it's uh, we see the um, the outside of the apartment and then the the letter opener with blood all over the floor, and it's it's here you know uh, Jill is telling her dad you know hold on the ambulance will be here, and her father basically says you know no there's something I must confess to you sweetie pie about Henry, and you know he's like please co- come closer I must whisper it to you, and we have a shot of. Uh, you know, there's no words, it's just her looking down at him and then a shocked expression on her face, a cut to the muse, child, Jill quietly saying no, and then her running out, running away from her father, and then we pick back up with Henry's uh, narration. Tears, Jill? What right did you have for grief? Your trap backfired and this was the consequence. Or am I misreading your emotions? Were these not tears of sadness, but tears of rage? Was your father's death at my hands always your intention? Was your only regret that I, in my compassion, left him dying rather than dead? 
Were your tears not for his impending death, but for whatever inconvenient and inconsequential deathbed confession he emburdened you with? No, I can't imagine that adult geriatric had anything worth sharing in his dying moments. What then was the cause of your animation? Of course you were performing not for your father, who shall soon be dead, nor for the baby, who is much too young to make sense of it, but for our prospective reader. Your, your malevolent narcissism informed you that this tale would be recounted and your actions would be put for a reader and audience a jury. But cry as you might, your tears would not blur that ev the evil of your retreat. I am glad to see Arthur die. He is my enemy. But you, Jill, are his daughter. Whatever dark secrets he may have exercised in his dying moments, you were despicable to leave him alone with them. Hmm. And now we cut to the fearscape. Exempt Arthur Proctor, author of 27 terrible novels, none of which shall be remembered, and for good reason. And then we're back in the fearscape, and Henry is walking with the, uh, the triplets. Tell me, were you always the tigers, even before I stepped foot in the fearscape? Yes and no, such is the symbiotic nature of our two, two worlds amalgamation. The answer is never a binary matter. And then we cut back to Henry. I shall refrain from insulting you, my attentive reader, by reminding you of the triplet's possession of emerging with the tigers. There is no need to recap events uh, you have already witnessed. To think of it, the sheer audacity of recalling prior scenes by means of montage, m montage, which we are then treated to the montage of these things happening. To declare one's readers too dim-witted to pick up on nuance and subtext upon a first reading, I would never treat you with such casual contempt, dear reader. Just trust any author who does. For you know the triplets are tethered to me, and that they were destined to vanish into the ether the moment I defeated the greatest of all fears, and that they killed it, they killed it to stop me from doing so thus guaranteeing their own continued existence. Of this, you are already familiar, and I need not dwell further. However, as I now discovered, if I were to die from my wounds, then the triplets would also perish, uh, perish their only escape, would also perish their only escape from this fate, my bestowing upon one of them the title and position of the next greatest of all fears. I was to do this, I was told prior to my death, beside my allotted spot in the grave of the poets, by inscribing on uh, one of their names upon my last will and testament, as a final admission of my own greatest fear. And then through these scenes, we have seen the possession of the tigers. We see uh, uh, thrown in the fearscape. Um, we see Henry lying next to his grave, where it says Henry Henry on the stone, and in a piece of paper he has scribbled the heart. It says, in doing so, my greatest fear would become humanity's greatest fear, thus granting one of my escorts an immortal life of immeasurable power, whilst also casting the other two into oblivion. I took solace in this matter, in, in this latter point, unhappy as I was at my manifested psyche's habitual dishonesty towards me. Yeah, we're joining Jill and the baby and the uh, the, greatest, the, the, uh, the the many the faced face, hero the, or the faceless the, hero, the hero with a thousand faces. That's it. And the narration, which I assume is coming from him, starts off by saying, "We lost." And the worst part is, I can't figure out how. 
I have over a thousand faces stored within me. I am the walking embodiment of the collective knowledge of mankind's greatest minds. Yet I still fell for every single one of that silver serpent's lies. The only sliver of recompense I feel is now knowing that our storyteller is gravely wounded, that he will soon meet his end at the grave of the poets. And Jill asks, Henry's going to die? And he responds, all we need do is wait. She says, we can't let that happen. He asks, why? What possible reason is there to help that petty fraud? Help me? Why would Jill wish to... Yes, of course. She was still performing for you, dear readers, that you might consider her actions altruistic. As if you would be so quick to forget her attempt on my life, the assassination of her father, her abuse of an infant, and a dozen other illicit actions. We lack the space here to properly catalog. But even, but enough of that regressive, gender-flipped, Iosian... I, I uh. <laughs> going? <laughs> no, you were coming. <laughs> Echo. Echo. I guess it's. I guess it's. I going? I guess it's. I More words to make us look up and think. Man, hate thinking. I a g o, a n. But enough of that regressive gender flipped. I <laughs> going? Echo. Our curtain draws near. So I just write one of your one of your names on here. That depends, dear storyteller. And that's uh, Henry Henry talking to the uh, triplets. And he says, "Which of the, us do you fear the most?" And at that point, one is uh, they they transform into a mermaid. I guess it's a brain with a spinal column. Well, it's the mind, the legs, and the heart, which we've seen them before in the other books. Right. Uh, did I fear the heart most of all that my alleged desire to be regarded as eloquent, cultured, and literary would never come to pass? And what of the legs? Did I mythologize the prospect of romance and thus remain a perpetual bachelor? Did I wish for a mermaid's chastity from the base coital regions or relations of my fellow apes? Or was my greatest fear the mind trapped within an ivory tower of bone? Did my wordplay mirror my slothism? Slothism? Solo? Oh boy, these words. Was I writing for an words. audience of one? <laughs> Incapable of choosing between such irreverent, shallowly gracious visually metaphors, uh, visual metaphors, I decided to leave my choice to chance by selecting a random number between one and three. This, however, proved exceptionally difficult. The obvious answer was two, and the contrarian answer was one or three. As neither an obvious nor nor contrarian thinker, I found myself at an impasse. Henry, Henry, halt thy actions. I must speak with you as the, the hero of a thousand faces, Russian, and the, he's greeted by the heart. You shall do no such thing, myth. And Henry stands and says, I don't know what to do. And then he looks at his headstone and says, of course. And behold, gentle reader. As thy Tragicom. tragicomic Tragic. hero renounces his inevitable death, his enemies all, and that accursed number three. And he has written on his page, his last will, the name Henry Henry. 
And the heart says, put your own name down. Well played, Scrivener. Well played. And as the three, the mind, the legs, and the heart disappear, we see that, dear reader, finally thou beholdest the true form of thy narrator. He who hath kept thee company from the opener of our tale. I speak, of course, of my current visage, that of the greatest of all fears. This final mystery now eludicated. Did I say that right? Elucidated. 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 Revealed. (laughs) Thou needest read on no further. For all that follows is an editorially mandated exploratory montage of little use to the reader of thy superior faculties. Fair world. Goodbye, learned reader. (laughs) I shall miss thee. The end. Oh, well, we're done, Paul. We don't need to keep reading the last, uh, you know. But there's 14 more pages. Ah, pages, mages. Henry's told us we can stop. It's done. Okay. Well, you just uh, you go on your merry way. I'll keep reading. Yeah, I'm gonna do some laundry. <laughs> you you just keep you keep going. I was willfully I was willfully blind to the truth, but thou hast shown it to me so clearly I can deny it no further. Thou art by the continued presence here on the page that most accursed of all creatures, the casual reader. Not tell you, me, Philistine. <laughs> tell me, Philistine. Didst thou peg me as an unreliable narrator? Didst thou think the message of this tale would immerse hidden yet inversely indicated by my satirical voice? Didst thou think an arrested development of thy ilk, one with a predilection for illustrated genre fiction, capable of comprehending my... So he's he's already insulting us for reading comic books. (laughs) (laughs) And we should say that as this has been going on, after he wrote his name, he's been actually transforming into the greatest fear, or a fear-like creature. Earlier, from earlier in the book, he's growing horns out of his head. His head's kind of his face is still there, but his body is grown. He has claws. He's masked in darkness, and he's attacking the uh, hero of a thousand faces. Yeah, he right. Who's but a then, cute? Uh, Jill says Henry with a question mark after it. Is what do you want? Why are you here? Why are you just standing there? And she she looks very upset and she says, Henry, I know what Dad did to you. And he says, What? <laughs> that man did nothing to me. He is an empty echo of my past. Nothing more. It is the duty of every author to destroy what came before, and I have done so. Do you take me for some weak walking trauma that the bad things done to me by others somehow inform my every action that I am one posh lost commoner paralyzed by perpetual inner turmoil. Shut up. Shut your damn mouth. I don't want to hear it anymore. You're just trying to trick me. You're no different than, than, and then I guess we see a picture of young, uh, Arthur Proctor mm-hmm. and then Henry converts Reverts. back. Yeah. To his normal form from the uh, greatest of all fears. Mm. Yeah. So here's where. Yeah, I guess I called this early on. You did. Yeah. You want to pick it up? Yeah, it's not a very comfortable thing to read. So we see a picture of the mermaid. It's a siren, of course, even here is, and where we show, we see the scenes from earlier with Henry's early meetings with, um, 
Arthur Proctor, and he says, oh, hello there, little one. What's your name? Henry. Uh, and then we're flashed to uh, a old Henry. He says, I was ever the victim of such creatures. And then it's a flashback again. Well, Henry, I wouldn't usually reveal my secrets, secrets, but it doesn't look like anyone else is coming. So why don't you take a seat right here? I'll show you. And young Henry, you know, jovial. Oh, okay. And then we cut to the heart in a, one of the earlier books when they were in like the garden talking and he says, what happened to you, Henry? And another shot shows old Arthur. And, um, but the by old says, Arthur, you mean young Arthur. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I meant to say old. Uh, well, yeah, young you, Arthur. You meant an old picture of young an Arthur. old picture of young Arthur. Yes. Um, and the heart saying, I'm an anthropomorphized anthropomorphized <laughs> You started yeah. so well. <laughs> Anthropo anthropomorphized Anthro, anthro, a manifestation. <laughs> I'm a manifestation. <laughs> Shut up. You know, guy messes up a few big words. I'm an anthropomorphized manifestation. Oh, there we go. Of your heart. And whatever you have buried, it is so well hidden. Even I cannot see the truth of it. So I guess, you know, I don't know if we want to wane philosophical now or just wait till we're done just to get, get through the book first. But so I think I'm just going to keep going. What could have hurt you so much that you'd hide it even from me? And, um, and we cut to another scene that did happen earlier in these pages. Is, and it's... Older Henry, and he with old Arthur, he says, I wrote a novel, Arthur. Do you hear me? I said I wrote a novel. And he's leaning over, and when he's in the bed, he's like, oh, come off it. You don't have Alzheimer's. You're, person you're perfectly fine. You're in control of yourself. There's nothing wrong with your mind. And we have to question, I, I guess I am going to wean philosophical. Is that true? Was Arthur feigning Alzheimer's? Or was he going in and out of it? It's hard to, hard for me to say. I really don't know enough about Alzheimer's to know. Uh, I mean, I know if you could can fake it that completely. Yeah, and then um, we see Henry's hand gripping the side of the bed. Says you don't get to use that excuse. And then the heart. We have a picture of the heart saying, "Hmm." And it says, you mention Arthur a great deal. He bothers you, doesn't he? And now we see old Arthur with another young boy. And it says, forgive me, little one. What's your name? Toby. And it says, well, Toby, it's, it's good to see a young man your age with a healthy appreciation for the written word. And he has his, uh, Arthur has his hand on to Toby's shoulder. He says, wouldn't you agree, Henry? And we did see this, if I remember correctly, in the earlier issue. And Henry, at that point, got enraged. And, ripped uh, the little elf's head off. He ripped the little elf's lungs out. He says, get the hell out of here. And then we cut back to the heart. He says, he's always been your favorite author ever since you were a boy. When did you first meet him? How, how old were you? He became your benefactor at some point. Why is he helping you with your career? And again, we see um, old Arthur with Jill. He says, no, it doesn't matter. You have to leave. Henry mustn't have friends here. When he sleeps over, only he is allowed. You have to leave. So maybe, you know what? Maybe Arthur does have Alzheimer's, and at this point, he's repeating something, you know, from the past. Mm-hmm. So maybe he does slip in and out. And then the heart says, "You steal from him. Why does he let you do that?" And uh, then we have another scene that we have 
we had saw before. Tell me, old friend, because of the heroes talking to Arthur Proctor. Tell me, old friend, you have a former ward, Henry. Oh, yeah, Henry is such a good little boy. Every time he visits, he always behaves himself. He does, he always does as he's told. And the hero asks, is he to be trusted? And then Arthur Proctor's, no, he lies. You mustn't believe a word that the little brat tells you. Which now and is then, just, you know, now is revealed to just be self, uh, self-serving self to protect mm-hmm. himself. Yes. And then Art says, did something bad happen between you and Arthur when you were a boy? And then Henry says, I can't get out. So, I mean, is he, is, can he, can he not escape? Is he saying that because he can't escape his own, like his own personal fear is oh, that personal his hell yeah because then we see the hero and jill looking down at henry and then they look at each other and then they take henry uh guiding him out his his arm is still appears to still be wounded and they walk out of the fearscape back into what appears to be the i would assume the apartment where arthur was killed and henry's sitting um like on a chair and um, Jill has the muse child with her. And then there's a cut to a door. She looks up, goes to the door, opens it. And there are two policemen that have entered. And Henry again says, I can't get out. And he's looks basically insane. Yeah. That's in a big splash page. Yeah. And his tears are coming down his eyes and he has a weird purplish color around him. Yeah. I think that's just to emphasize the level of insanity. No. What do you I, think it is? Okay. Go back go back one page. Uh-huh. Look at the color of the fearscape. It's purplish. Na- it's purplish. Look at his color. Okay. I think he's I think he's He's like possessed the, by the fearscape? Or he's trapped in the fearscape or something like that. That's possible. Why would he have that purplish hue about him? So and then I guess somewhat of an epilogue after that. So we're to assume that Henry is taken to jail. Um, we show a, a church uh, or some type of chapel, and the the hero and Jill stand inside, and uh, the hero says, "Nobody came." And Jill says, "I don't think any of Dad's friends wanted to admit they knew him." So now it's implied that he, that everybody knows I that guess. everybody knew, and nobody helped. Uh, you know. Mm. Maybe that's why nobody came to the Well, is it that? Or did the truth somehow come out about him? Did Henry, I don't Henry know. maybe reveal the truth when the police... Yeah, but he looks like he's bonkers. So did he reveal anything? Did did, did Jill reveal anything? I, I don't know. I guess that's what we'll have to find out later. So uh, the hero says, indeed what, he, indeed, what he did was monstrous, and it created a monster. And Jill says, I don't know, plenty of kids go through what Henry went through and don't grow up into assholes. And the hero says, my lady, how can you say such things? And she doesn't really answer. She just has a blank look. And uh, she says, look, thanks for coming, hero, but I'm still not giving you the muse back. I'm sorry. And he says, why not? And she says, I don't need a reason why not. Now, we cut to her art portfolio book in her purse or whatever so is she using the muse for her own ends that we might see in a later story arc to Hmm. inspire herself 
that's possible. I mean, every, it seems like everybody in this book has hidden layers of gray. Yeah, uh, but not as uh, yeah. You know, so far she she to be. yeah she has seemed to be beneficent to this point, uh, and even sympathetic to a Henry to you know when she realized what was going on, but you know maybe maybe she's not quite as good as we're led to believe either. Right. So the hero says, but she must return. It is her calling to guide mankind storytellers to the fearscape to continue the legacy of the greatest minds your species has ever known. And she repeats, continue the legacy? Yes, to continue the great work of all who came before. And she pauses and turns and looks at the picture of her father next to his casket. So I would imply that she's like, yeah, and that worked out so great with my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly, how I would interpret that. That's exactly and, how I interpreted it also. So she's like, almost like she's like, no, you're not getting the muse because it could create another, you know, another person like my father that you thought was so great. So and then she says, goodbye, hero. And then she walks away outside the chapel and um, she calls to the muse who's now grown, appears to be. A little boy, perhaps? Or That's the way it looks to me. It's hard to tell. But but it could be just a little girl with short hair. Yeah. Yeah. So it says, uh, Muse, we're leaving. Coming, Mom. See you guys, as the, the Muse waves to um, the three playmates that were in the yard there with her. Him, possibly. Notice I said three playmates. Because then we see these three playmates in the last picture. And, uh... The muse says, was fun playing. And they all, these three little children have sheep heads. Yeah, and I don't know exactly where that's taking us. Well, I Obviously, you know, it's some sort of manifestation about the three tiger guys, but I don't know. Well, are they supposed to be the same ones reborn? I don't know. Is it, is it, is this triplet manifestation something for Jill? Or is this a triplet manifestation for the muse? I don't know. Because the next page is a black page, and it just has the words end of part one on it. Now, uh, while I, uh, um, the page where, um, where the hero says, indeed, what he did was monstrous, and it created a monster. And Jill says, I don't know, plenty of kids go through what Henry went through and don't grow up into assholes. Now, I am not a victim of any type of sexual abuse as a child. However, one of my uh, stepfathers, looking back, I can say that there was physical abuse when I was of a young age, and I was very aware of that when I became a father. So she is right in the fact that plenty of kids go through what Henry went through and don't grow up to be assholes. I did not go through exactly what Henry did, but... I would think it would probably have a much more traumatizing effect. It's, I don't want to say she made it seem flippant, but yes, some people do go through things, go through things and do not become assholes. But as I think it's a degree as to what, what different people can take or what they go through. So I guess, I guess it's a question of what impact the scarring of abuse, whatever form that abuse takes what impact that scar has on the victim of that abuse. You know, you, you could, uh, I, I, you know, I, and I don't know. I, I, I thank God I, I was never abused 
so I don't really have a frame of reference for it, but I guess some people rise above it. Some people submerge it and don't deal with it and have other type of psychological scars because of it. And unfortunately, some people who are abused grow up to be abusers. Right. And that was always what I was always worried about. I mean, I, I had some moments after after I was out of that situation when I had, was actually living with my grandmother and sometimes, you know, would lash out at other kids. But I, I don't want to say I outgrew that, but I mean, I sometimes do have a temper and can yell, but it's not, thank goodness, you know, my wife and I have talked talked about it, and she's, you know, she's like, yeah, if you ever did anything like that, we this whole our marriage would have been over, and so you know, I just made made her aware of that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't really want to talk about that anymore. No, that's that's fine. No, nobody wants you to talk about what you're not comfortable with. I'm I'm just wondering, like, where this story comes from. Does Ryan O'Sullivan have? You know, is is, know. is there something that's autobiographical about this? Or does he have a family member? Or is it just something that fascinates him on a psychological level? Because not not to say anything, you know, not, not to, to, to take any sort of pleasure, perverse pleasure from people being abused, because I, I, that's crazy. Uh, but to say, you know, maybe you take a psychology class and you learn about this and you just find it to be such a layered thing. That it fascinates you, and you decide to write a story about it, and it may even be a story that's written in an effort to, you know, to help expose the problems that come from this type of thing. I mean, it could be any kind of purpose, mm-hmm. you know. But I guess only Ryan O'Sullivan knows that for sure. Yeah, there's just so much through this this story that um, um, just it's it's very deep it's not you know it's not something you can just read through once and and you're done you you go back and you read and and now i want to you know he would was great gra- gracious enough to give us all the copies ahead of time and um i know that the i believe in june the trade comes out so i would like to get this as a trade and there is there is an ad for it uh mm-hmm. after the story is completed it looks nice too doesn't it it's got yeah nice uh what looks to be almost like a leather-bound cover, which I, I, I'm assuming is just kind of the way it's printed well, it's, as opposed to actually being leather-bound. Yeah, the way they made these look kind of rather aged and different. But it, it definitely looks, you know, it's got, got a, a uh, you know, a novel-type look about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what I find interesting is, you know, we got some answers, but I feel like there's so much more to learn. I don't feel like yeah. this story is done, even though this chapter is done. No, there's still so much about Jill that we don't know, and I think and for I'm that matter with, about I, Henry Henry and where you know what's going to end up happening to him is is his story concluded at this point? I don't think so. And then are we you know are we going to go back to the fearscape? Is there going to be an issue with the muse and whether? Well, you know those sheep heads are kind of purple too. <laughs> yeah, what what what's up with the sheep heads? You know what? There's there's so much. It's not that it created more questions, but it answered some little portion of questions and just leaves a lot more to be developed, which is good because, you you know, as, as much as you, you content to read one complete story, there would be no reason to go back for issue six if, the, if there weren't some questions to be answered at this point. 
the, I would assume that the next arc is going to be about, or the next story will be about Jill. Yeah, I would think at least primarily. Yeah, and we may follow up on what has happened to Henry. And maybe they can give us a little bit more of a, and a maybe definition Henry, of what the fearscape is all about, you know? I'm just spitballing here. Maybe at some point, I'm like, I don't know how many parts they're planning to do, uh, if there's going to be three or just two. But maybe Henry gets some type of redemption and has to help Jill. Well, I think to some ex- to some extent Henry was kind of redeemed in this story because his his motivations became more acceptable, knowing what a an animal Arthur Proctor was. You know, it, it's like you, you no longer feel sorry for him that Henry stole his manuscript. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you don't. Although you you never feel that Jill was aware that her father was a beast, but who knows? You know, like I said, there's there's layers to these people. Maybe we'll find out something more there. Yeah, but you know, there's one thing that really bugs me. Like, I, I when he calls her sweetie pie, mm-hmm. she's uh, I, I I I don't know. I don't know if why she reacts strongly to it. Yeah, really strongly. So maybe maybe they you know she he might have abused her also. Or maybe she's just so shocked by, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. I don't know. I mean, maybe she's just so touched by it and so upset that he's dying. You know, but I, it just seemed weird. Yeah. No, you know, I, like I like, said, I think this. Dad. Oh, God. Like, there's more There's more for us to know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I really did enjoy this story arc. I liked getting to know these characters, and I enjoyed, as as we were saying before we started to record, I enjoyed the fact that as we went through this book panel by panel, I felt like I got so much more out of it than when I just read it myself. Mm-hmm. So you know, this this is one that definitely takes some, you know, some close looking at it to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So you want to rate the overall story as opposed to this issue or do you want to do both um well i mean i'll tell you right now they're all going to be a's <laughs> all right so, fair, fair enough <laughs> i mean um we don't I, need to go through the formality at this I, point. I would say the covers are a little less than a for me eh. they, they don't really quite do it like i said if i wasn't intrigued by the story to begin with i don't know that they would attract me to read it some of the uh, alternate covers are very intricate um i don't think this one had an alternate cover but some of the other ones were very uh pretty uh, like very colorful very uh interesting i'm not sure if they were done by the same um no because it says a fe- featuring covers by ariella christiana Andrea Moody and Vladimir Pope. So I'm assuming there's other um, ones out there. I know we had seen a couple in one of the other uh, c- copies we had. So. so now, you know, the story, we, we've gone on and on about the story and how it made us think and how we enjoyed that aspect of it. The artwork, I think, you know, conveys the mood mm-hmm. pretty much through the story. I mean, there's points where I felt like it was, you know, waxing and waning, but there are other points where. I just feel like it really gives you the, you know, it, it gives you the proper feeling for what you're reading. And I think it's, you know, it's it's just well done. And I think there are, there are aspects of it where the art is a little subtle uh, to create a mood. 
And I think we've, mm-hmm. you know, we've pointed that out sometimes where, you know, maybe the dialogue doesn't exactly match what we're seeing, and there's, you know, purpose but that may behind be purpose that. By... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There is purpose behind that, or at least, as, you know, it appears to us that there is. You know, sometimes the the words they're saying don't match the feelings that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So the artwork kind of conveys that that uh, conflict a little bit, and I you know I think that's well done, and uh, you know it, it also tells the story fairly well, and the dialogue, uh, you know the only thing about it is it occasionally made me feel stupid because I <laughs> words I didn't understand. <laughs> it's been a long time since I read a comic book and felt the need to uh, look something. To, to okay, look up I gotta words. look that yeah. up. So you know, I'm. I'm you know, I'm, I'm happy that we went through this and, and read it, and we'll see. I don't know if we're going to get the second story arc uh, for review purposes. If we do, we'll probably be visiting it again. Yeah, I'm not even sure when the second arc's coming out. I haven't looked that far ahead. No idea. So, All right, so I guess that's it for... Makes you want to read an indie comic book. For uh, yeah, this is really our indie spotlight, I guess. But, uh, mm, yeah. and, but we'll get back to uh, Terminator soon. And uh, that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this, and uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at two truefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> I just needed to cuddle and you fed me. All I needed I mean, was a hug.